0: Hello, and welcome to the third episode of Confessions of an Agile Activist. This is not only the third episode, but it's also the third and uh, three-part introductory series on how to sell agile software development services. Now, I think if you've been following this podcast, you'll find something a little bit different this time around. A few things are different this time. One thing is that I've found that I enjoy making these podcasts, so I decided to make a bigger commitment to it and i've invested in some at least halfway decent equipment i've got microphone not a great microphone one of these days i'll get a better one but it's a lot better than that usb Skype phone that I was using for my recordings of the previous two podcasts and I got a mixer which adds the preamp which is required to get some decent sound some decent volume because I know that the last two were kind of difficult to listen to you had to crank up the volume on your your p3 player and then when the podcast was over and the next one started it would blow your eardrums out so we're going to try to keep that from happening in the future The other thing that's going to be different in this podcast from the last two is that I learned something about making podcasts in the last two podcasts that I made, and that is that this is scary stuff. You know, this is, I I had thought, I thought podcasting is going to be the appropriate medium for me because... I spend 10, 20, 30 hours a week talking about agile software development practices because I love talking about agile software development practices. I talk about them with my team, I talk about, talk about them with my clients, I talk about them with my prospects, I talk about them with people I run into on the street, I talk about them with my family, much to their chagrin. And and so I thought, you know, why why not put a microphone instead of a keyboard in front of myself when I want to communicate this and, and share what I've learned, share my experiences with uh, a larger audience. And what I found is that it's not a medium for a perfectionist. It's a really rotten medium for perfectionists. What what was happening was I would record a podcast and I would say um or I would pause too long between words or I would mispronounce something or I would misstate a fact and I'd get flustered. I, I, it would be kind of like um, recording an answering machine message. You know, it's it's bad enough recording a message from you to someone else on their answering machine when you make a mistake, but when you're recording your own, it's, it's very much like. um click the button and hello this this is uh the activist and and i'm sorry i can't get you uh, k- uh oops stop it rewind record it again and so i was doing the same thing with a podcast now that takes an enormous amount of time and effort and that level of perfection is actually i think a barrier to communication what i did with the last two podcasts ultimately is script them i ended up practically writing word for word what i was going to say and repeating myself so many times to get through the words out right that i came across as sounding very stiff and taking a lot of the fun away from what is really a really fun topic to talk about. So the two differences you're going to find in this podcast are, one, I'm improvising this one and I'm accepting my mistakes as I go. If I make a mistake, I'll try to catch myself. If I don't catch myself, I'll get your emails telling me what I did wrong and I'll, re- and I'll fix it in the next episode. The other thing is that it's going to sound a lot better. And there 's something else about this one there 's a reason why I wanted to make some changes before I made this podcast because this is one i 'm really excited about Se- this is This one is about selling agile software development practices to actual customers and and this is what I do for ten or fifteen hours a week in conference calls and and uh, on the phone. Can you really call, call it a conference call when it's just you and one other person, or is that just trying to make yourself sound more important? In a telephone chat with prospective clients, I talk about this stuff all the time, and and it's exciting because most of the people I talk to hadn't really considered software, developing software in this manner before. Much of the time, the conversations start out with an email saying, will you please submit a bid? for this this software project, we're sending out a bid request, we've got an RFP out to, to half a dozen different vendors and you're one that we'd like to get, a, get feedback from. And I usually turn that into a telephone call. I find that if I write a response to a bid, my success rate is pretty close to zero. I haven't actually written a proposal in response to an RFP in a year and a half. What I end up doing is getting the customer on the phone and talking about what it is they want to accomplish and talking about how how we would go about solving the problem. And that conversation sounds a lot like what you're going to hear in this podcast. And most of the time, I would say better than 50% of the time, by the end of the first conversation, I've got a customer so sold on the idea of using an agile development process exactly the way that I describe it and the way that I do it, that the entire RFP process, unless they're a government organization that requires an RFP or requires that they get multiple bids, becomes moot. Suddenly, what they're looking for is no longer a piece of software from the best or the cheapest bidder. What they're looking for is exactly what I described to them on the phone. And there's nobody else of all those other proposals that they're getting that are offering the same thing. And so... I win by default. I've had a great deal of, of success in it selling my company's services this way, and that's what I'm going to be sharing with you today. Basically this is how you sell to clients. This is an overview of what we're going to be talking about. The main selling points of agile software development is higher quality software, and we're going to have to talk about what that means because most people haven't a clue what software quality actually means. We're going to talk about the control aspect, the, the, the greater degree of control that a customer has when they outsource their software project or internally, have their software development team use agile software development processes. The flexibility that comes from it, the increased options that they have, both for their interactions with the team and the software itself, lower cost and and why that is, we'll talk about that, and the way that it gives them insight into the process of developing their software, which is a really exciting thing for a lot of customers. So, to get right into it, the first point is quality and what what exactly is is software quality now, I mentioned in my last podcast that most software sucks, and you can go back and listen to that to to, to hear my my reasoning but I'll just pull a few points that that I originally got out of a Technology Review magazine article, which was rather good um, a few years back, I think, that defined good software as usable, reliable, defect-free, cost-effective, and maintainable. And this is interesting because most people think of of good quality software as being defect-free, which is not a very fair assessment for software because no software is 100% defect-free. The the idea that cost-effectiveness and maintainability are core components of good, high-quality software is something that's often lacking from the customer's perspective. Some points that this article brought out is that when Windows XP, you know, this is, I'm sorry, this is a Microsoft thing. I could use any of a number of examples, but this is a famous one. When Windows XP was first released, on the very same day as the release, Microsoft released 18 megabytes of patches, and, and some of the, the flaws that were overlooked. This is a funny one. I'm sharing it just because it's fun. The uh, backup disks that are created by Windows XP Home, when you choose to create backup disks, according to the Windows XP Home